0: hello thanks for listening to the total knee tips and pearls podcast this is adam rose and your host i'm a fellowship trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement in these episodes i'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs thanks for tuning in and on with the show Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen. You're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls Podcast. So I hope you enjoy what you've been listening to. Um, If you're enjoying this information, uh, please take a moment, if you can, and rate the podcast. uh, Leave a review. Uh, Let me know what program you're at and share this with a friend or colleague. It's those reviews and ratings which help get this information out there for other people to find the podcast. So in the last episode, we talked uh, about revisions and I started talking about the approach and some specifics on what we do during the approach, and also on how to remove the implants. So now at this point, now you've done your approach, you've removed your implants, and now you got to start the revision. Um, So at this point, um, I'll tell you, this this is one of the main reasons, um, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that I switched over predominantly to doing cruciate retaining knees for my primaries, because... You do enough revisions and you pull off poster stabilized implants and you're just left with a huge hole. You know, even if you did a great job and they didn't have severe osteolysis, you know, maybe you got lucky and you know, you have two condyles that have some semblance of a condyle. But for the most part, you know, there's osteolysis, you get some bone attached to the implant when you take it off, and you're just left with this huge hole or void, just barely attached to the collaterals. And I found that, you know, going to a cruciate retaining design, um, when I had to revise those knees, there's a lot more bone stock there and available. So, but at this point, you got this huge open area and this is part of the preoperative planning because at this point, hopefully you've assessed before surgery, how big the bone loss was gonna be. You know, did you need cones or just augments? Um, did you need to have a hinge or something else available? But for all intensive purposes, in this case, we're just gonna talk about a straightforward stabilized revision. And although I'm very algorithmic for most surgeries that I do, you know, I find that specifically with knee revisions, you have to be able to jump back and forth. So you have a set algorithm, but based on the approach or the exposure or the anatomy or the bone, you know, being able to jump back and forth is is really, really helpful. So I'll typically start with my tibia and I'll typically do an intramedullary alignment jig and rod. So I'll use my reamers, Um, And I'll cut off of those. If I've had to uh, deal with a significant amount of bone loss, you know, that's where I'll use the cones and use those to cut this. But as part of the preoperative templating, you're trying to get an assessment of where the joint line was, looking at the fibula, how much bone was lost. Is it symmetric or is there an asymmetric amount of bone loss medial or laterally? Is the defect contained or not? And it's all of that information that really helped me decide, you know, can I make a freshening cut? Can I take a little bit more bone to get a flat surface? Um, do I need to step cut it and do an augment? Or do I need to use a cone if there's significant bone loss? And I may be one of the minority, but I'll typically... Um, cement my knee revisions um, unless I'm going to a super, super long stem, but for a lot of the first time revisions. Um, So I'm using intramedullary devices. And what I like to do is use those to cut and it restores my alignment. But the important thing, and I talked about this before, is that I find a lot of people get the tibia off. And at this point, you know, you're plucking all the little cement and you got a curette and you're taking all this time on the top of the tibia. Don't waste your time because we're going to cut that in a moment um, but you do have to open up the canal so this is where from above and a lot of times i'll find even from the base of the table i'll switch with my leg holder and come from above because it's a lot easier looking straight down and you can drill osteotomes, cement removal equipment whatever you have to use to get that cement out the one danger i find is that if the old tibia had a lot of osteolysis or the cement was abutting up against the anterior cortex, that cortex can be extremely thin. So you have to be very, very cautious and know because it's a cone, you're looking at a large diameter, but you have to understand how that narrows distally so you don't plunge through the cortex as you're trying to get the cement out. So at this point, then I've got my intramedullary devices and then I start reaming you know, one millimeter at a time and ream up and ream up and ream up and ream up and then know the depth of what you were aiming for again based on your templating and how long your stem is planning on being so you can set your reamer at the appropriate level. And at this point, then I will attach my tibial cutting guide to that reamer and this is where I'm making that first decision is the shim cut gonna be thin enough that I can get a flat surface from front to back, medial to lateral? Um, Or is there enough bone there and there's a little defect on one side, but not big enough for an augment? So I'm on purpose gonna drop my tibia cutting guide down a couple more millimeters so it gives me a flat surface. That's always nice and optimal. And it just does mean that you're gonna be using a slightly thicker polyethylene insert but that may be okay in a revision setting, especially if you're gonna get a nice flat surface. The next thing I'm looking at is okay, I have a pretty good flat surface on one side, but I have a significant amount of wear on the other side and the rest of the cortex is intact and contained. This is where I make the decision of I'm probably gonna use an augment. So I decide, okay, where is my tibial resection gonna be on the high side where I can get a nice flat surface? and try to keep that joint line level up to where it needs to be. And then I have to decide depending on the system, is it a you know, four, eight, 12, five, 10, 15, depending on what your augment thickness is. Okay, where does that cut have to be? And then you can make your little step cut. This is great with a Recep saw. You have to be extremely careful if you're cutting down for an augment on the lateral side, because of the patellar tendon and its insertion. So make sure that you have good enough exposure that you can protect that area. And then once you make the bone cut at this point, if you did have a little bit of cement still remaining, this is when I would take the time to go and remove any cement that's in the top of the tibia, um, so you have a nice fresh bony surface. But at this point, you've been able to expose the tibia, cut the tibia, and then step cut the tibia if you're gonna use an augment. Now if I have significant bone loss, um, and there's a large void. And this is when I may use one of the cones, and the cones are nice because you can really get good solid fixation with the cone and then at that point actually cut right off of the cone depending on what system that you're going to use. So that becomes a really, really nice um, thing to keep in your armamentarium when you're dealing with these huge you know, defects which an augment doesn't necessarily fix on one side or the other, and you need to fill a large, large void and get great fixation. Um, So for me, if then I'm cutting off the cone, I'm using the cone, and then I'm building a implant on top of that. If I've done my cut or my step cut with an augment, at this point, I'm building my tibia and I place this then in the tibia. So I don't care if there's great rotational stability right now, but what I find is it gives me a surface that I can lay a, um, I can protect the tibia with and also then as i'm cutting on my femur i have this nice flat surface that i don't have to worry about potentially damaging the bone with a saw or potentially damaging the bone with a retractor because that bone is extremely soft so at this point we have that in i don't set my rotation yet um and i tend to do that If at the end of the case, once we set our femur and I'm doing my balancing, especially if we're doing a fixed bearing um, with an RP, I have a little bit more um, ability to kind of place it into a different position based on bone anatomy. Um, But for my fixed bearing devices, I don't set my rotation at this point until I've been able to trial. So then going on to the femur. And if I had one important caveat to take away from a knee revision, um, it is at the femur and the femoral preparation portion it would be pretty much unheard of to not use a distal augment and you need to have a way of restoring your joint line and you know the old the my old teaching um was kind of always you know cut the tibia cut the femur kind of freshen everything up and then start playing with augments like a tinker toy looking set and we would kind of go upsize downsize and try to find the balancing and you know 15, 20 years ago, um, that was just the way that I did it. And, you know, looking back, it, it wasn't a, a really thoughtful way of doing it, um, even though we kind of looked for things in the meniscal scar and kind of the joint line. Um, but there was an implant system that came out. And what was really, really nice is that on the um, on the distal femoral cutting guide, they have a little medial epicondyle mark. And this was based off of um, studies that they did looking at the meniscal remnant the patellar and the ten, patellar tendon and the fibula and trying to figure out like what gave me the best um, restoration of where the joint line would be. And if you can find the sulcus on the medial epicondyle, this has a little slot where you can drop a angel wing and it sets where your distal joint line is supposed to be off the femur. And that one thing, you know, I became a huge believer in using that landmark because in my hands, it was very reproducible. But the first few revisions that I did using that landmark... Um, and that is 99% sure. Actually, I have the block because I use it all the time. I think it's 28 millimeters, um, but double check that before you cut for that joint line. Um, but I always have that block available and I use that block um, to restore the joint line. And what I found was where I thought the joint line would be, I was always off by a lot. So by doing this, what I can find is if I pin my block in place, the zero cut, always an air ball, and the five millimeter you know, cut was almost always an air ball also. Um, And then at that point, what I was able to then do is go, okay, I can take a 10 cut and freshen this and a 15 cut and freshen that. And then I can have my tech go, okay, we already know. On my gap checker, on my femoral trial, I'm already going to add a 10 on the medial side and a 15 on the lateral side. And that was a huge game changer for me in restoring stability to my revisions. But this really played out in these are patients that came back after big revisions and just felt great already at a month. You know, they're up there walking where, you know, a lot of times the knees have a little slop or a little tight, you know, and it's a revision operation. It's a salvage operation, but these were patients that were doing almost as well as some primary knee patients. Um, And I really, really started enjoying having that stability intraoperatively and seeing how quickly they recovered afterwards. So at this point, you know, we've done our distal cut. um, So I know where my my distal cut's gonna be. And at this point, you can then really start to get an assessment of, okay, what about my flexion gap? So you can use your gap checker. um, And at this point, or you can use your distal femur with the augments and the tibia that you already have in there and a trial poly to get an idea on your extension gap. And then as you flex it up, notoriously what you'll find is that you're very, very loose in flexion. So now you have a couple options. You gotta decide, let's just say for, you know your, your implant size was approximately X. Um, so if your femoral component was X and it was not, Overhanging and there was width to go medial laterally, and your loosened flexion. One of the simple options is okay, let's go up to X plus one in my femoral size because that will tighten up my flexion gap and I will not overhang and I can build up the posterior chamfers and the posterior or the posterior condyles with an augment. You know, the problem then occurs and what about if your X is just okay in a medial lateral position? But your loose inflection. Well, now you have to get into the idea of offsets. And the idea is okay, now we have to take our femoral component and shift it posteriorly off of the actual stem. Now, each system has its ease or lack thereof of dialing this in to the component and to the jig. Um, and some of the newer systems are a lot more slick than the older systems. So once you get familiar, this is where it's really important to know the steps and know the system that you're using, but for all intents and purposes, you need to make those assessments of your stability and decide if I'm loose inflection, which notoriously are in a revision, can I upsize my femoral component to get more posterior um, fit with adding augments, or if that's gonna make you too wide mediolaterally, laterally do you have the option of offsetting your femoral component off of the stem. Um, so at this point, you know I've also used the reamers on the femur. So we have a good tight scratch fit and that's what you can cut your distal femur off. But at this point now you're trying to decide, okay, now I'm gonna set my rotation. So this is where I spend a lot of time with my flexion gap blocks or lamina spreaders. And once I've been able to figure out my gap balancing between my extension and my flexion, this is where you also want to make sure that you can set your rotation. Now, if you did it or you know the surgeon that did it and they were a good surgeon, the knee worked well, the nice thing is as you take it off, you can sort of use those rotational landmarks. But if you assume that they were off and maybe this knee failed prematurely and part of it was there was an issue with the rotation of the femoral component, you need to look at your medial and lateral aspects of that flexion gap and decide rotationally where that femoral four in one cutting block needs to go before you pin it so you can cut the appropriate chanfers and then allow for the appropriate position of that femoral cutting guide. So if you can restore that and use your epicondylar axis and any other landmarks that you can use, um, once you can pin that block in place, now you can make your cuts. And at this point, now we've been able to make our tibia cut and maybe you've either used a slightly thicker cut to get a flat surface. You've kind of alter stepped cut it and used an augment on one side or the other and you have a stem in there or it was big enough void and you placed a cone and now you have your tibial component in there. And then we've also cut our distal femur. We've used the medial epicondyle to set that joint line 28 millimeters distally. We've added the augments that we needed to the distal femur. Um, so that we know that our joint line has been restored as best as we can and our extension gap is balanced. Um, And then the next thing, we've set our rotation and we've determined what we needed to do with the femoral component as far as sizing and offset to balance the flexion gap. And then we've pinned the 4-in-1 cutting guide. But again, remember, usually they're air balls, but remember that if you've set your augments, I think we said earlier, 10 medially, 15 laterally, those augments also have to be on your cutting guide. um, Because if you do not, you're going to cut chanfers onto the bone, where in actuality, it should be further distal, so you can restore your joint line. But some mistakes, and as I see people, you know, they're so used to picking up a cutting block, and you've already figured out what your augments are, but they forget to put the augments on the cutting guide. So if your reps there, they might keep an eye on that. Um, If you have a good tech, they're building those things at the same time that you're building your other implants, but now you've made your form one cutting guide, you get your femoral component on there. And at this point, now you're gonna start to fine tune and decide, okay, what do I need to do to balance this knee well? and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the next episode. But in this one, I really wanted to focus on those are the tibia cuts, those are our femoral computs, but also the patella. I would say the majority of knee revisions that I do, the patella button's there. We leave it. Um, I think I talked about that. In the last one is you know don't take it off. If you need to take it off, let's say maybe you took it off last time because this is the second stage of an infection. Um, you got to assess is there enough bone left? You know can I size and drill a few more holes and put a new patella in? Or the other option is always have the bailout option of a going osteotomy. Um, This is a great bailout. um, Maybe not necessarily bailouts. It's just a great um, tool to keep sort of in your toolbox that if you have a bone that is extremely thin and too thin to mount a new patellar button on, and even if you could, it's so thin that you're afraid that it's gonna break or fracture, what you can actually do is actually make a vertical cut in the actual patella. And what then will happen over time is you get this patella to kind of fold into the trochlear groove. And what will happen over time, and I've had a few of these, I have one in particular, I mean, it was like pristine. I mean, it looked textbook at a year out where the patella had contoured just perfectly to the trochlear, the femoral component. And this lady had no pain she had great stair climbing ability it was a horrible revision that she had for severe failure and osteolysis and loosening Um, but there was just no bone left underneath the patella so although she's got good femoral tibial components i had to do a goal wing osteotomy and then over time with range of motion the new bone itself kind of forms and fits itself to this groove and then they have this bone articulation on the femoral component so keeping that goal wing osteotomy um, in your little Bag of tricks will be a great thing for that one or two times where you get in there and the bone is extremely thin. So again, we've done the tibial, the femoral, the patella. Um, it's a whole lot of information and it's really even hard in a podcasting form to kind of show you and walk you through. So that's where you know repetition, doing reps is going to be really, really important, but really important also You know, especially if you're young, knowing the steps of a total knee are a little overwhelming. The steps and the implants and the options are even more astronomically complex in a revision. And what's good and what's bad is that each system that you work with, you'll find there are multiple different ways of getting to the end of the case. So each of us has our own little, you know, way of doing it. Some people, you know, like to use all the cutting guides, some people like to do things in steps. There are some cutting guides. that you can mount to the uh, stems. Um, There are some that you'll just pin in place with augments. Some actually have trials with slots that you can cut through the trials. So there's lots of different options and it's just a matter of figuring out which way works best in your hands and also having a good way of understanding it so it doesn't get overly complicated. Um, And then in the next episode, I'm gonna try to talk a little bit more about, okay, now what do we do about the balancing in a revision setting? Because it is a little bit different than a primary setting and what other options we may have available to us as far as poly, thickness, augments on the tibia, augments in the femur, femoral sizing um, and rotation You know, before we finalize where implants are gonna be, punch our keel on our femur um, and prepare the bone for final implantation. So again, thanks for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.